Welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Luke. My name is John, and in this session we are going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. It is the well-known story, usually called the Transfiguration, which is just a fancy word to mean that Jesus' appearance was transfigured. That is, changed into some sort of different sort of appearance or form. And let's set the context for this. In our previous session, in the story just before this, Jesus is praying alone, and he's asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And so we're really beginning to focus our attention as we kind of culminate this whole big section that goes from 414 all the way through 951. We're really focusing our attention here at this moment on the the culminating question of Jesus' identity. Who is he? Who is Jesus? Um, And so he's asked his disciples that in the preceding section, and then he he, he hears what the crowds are saying. He asks the disciples who they think he is. And Peter has said, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ of God. And Peter gets the answer right. That's who Jesus is. But, but Jesus knows he doesn't get the meaning of that quite right. And so he's clarifying who he is as the Messiah. That he's a Messiah who's going to actually be rejected, suffer, die, and then be raised again. And that kind of prediction of Jesus' death is going to happen several times over the next handful of chapters. And so we're wrestling with this identity of Jesus. We're wrestling with who he is. The disciples are beginning to really grasp who he is, that he's the Messiah, but they need deeper insight into what that means. And when Jesus gives that insight, it involves suffering and dying, and that does not fit at all. And so We saw right at the end of the last session how Jesus affirms that indeed there is going to be glory and indeed he is going to bring God's kingdom and it's actually going to happen soon. It's just going to be a little bit different. Well, here in Luke 9, 28 and following, Jesus uh, is going to have this experience with three of his disciples, Peter, John, and James, that will really give them a glimpse into the very glory that he has as the Messiah and will reaffirm what Peter said about who Jesus is. And all of these things uh, really help them begin to understand the identity of Jesus more fully and more completely. So here's how this story unfolds. Luke chapter 9 verse 28 says, about eight days after saying these things. And so uh, about a week after our preceding story, right? After uh, a week after Jesus told them, yes, I'm the Messiah, but I'm going to be a different kind of Messiah. Uh, In fact, some of you are actually going to see the kingdom of God come in glory before you even die. So it's here. Just know it's going to be different. So about a week after these sayings, he took along Peter, John, and James, and he went up on a mountain to pray. And so he takes three kind of his inner circle of Uh, apostles, and he goes up on a mountain to pray. And here's what happens, verse 29. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And perhaps we have here a little echo of Moses' mountain experience when he descended from the mountain and his face was shining. 
But as we'll see very shortly, as this story unfolds, we'll see that Jesus is actually greater than Moses, which would be shocking to the Jews, right, of his day. But that's what we'll see. This is where this is all going. Um, And he is on the mountain. His face became different, in some sense glowing or shining or some sort of difference, not specified here. His clothes became white and gleaming. So there's a sense in which his glory is being displayed. And behold, two men are with him, and two men are specifically Moses and Elijah, like two of the greatest heroes from the Old Testament. Not only that, Moses, the author of the law, Elijah, kind of one of the key prophets. So you've got the law and the prophets represented in Moses and Elijah in some regard here. Uh, And they are appearing in glory, right? Like they have been dead for a long time. They are appearing in glory and they're speaking of his departure. The word departure is literally the word exodus. And generically speaking, it just means a departure. It could even be used of a general departure. Sometimes it was even used of death. And in the case of Jesus, it's all of that. It's a departure that's going to happen by means of death. But also, we just can't miss the significance of the word exodus for departure or death in the context of the biblical story, in the context of a conversation with Moses, right? Like Exodus refers to the great act of redemption where God delivered his people out of their bondage to slavery. Um, It was the great act of the redemption for the Jewish people. And so when they're speaking about his exodus, yes, they're talking about his departure from earth. Yes, they're talking about his death, but they're also talking about it as an exodus, as a new exodus, as a new act of redemption. And Jesus is going to affect that, that new exodus, um, by which the final and ultimate redemption will be achieved. And they're talking about this. Um, and Peter, John, and James are there. Verse 32, now Peter and his companions have been overcome with sleep which suggests maybe this is nighttime. In fact, verse 37 says that they went down the mountain the next day. So I'm guessing that this was an evening or nighttime event, which makes it pretty phenomenal if, you know, Moses and Elijah are appearing in glory. Jesus' clothes are gleaming. His face in some way is different, perhaps shining, right? Um, This would be a pretty kind of overpowering, spectacular event. And so Peter and his companions have been overcome with sleep, and then they wake up, and they wake up to humans that are, in some sense, gleaming, shining, glowing, uh, and uh, they shake the cobwebs out, they figure out what's going on, and but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men who were standing with him, and so they wake up to a radiant, um, glory-filled expression of Jesus. And remember, in the context, Jesus has just told them that he is going to suffer and die. So indeed, he is the Son of Man. Indeed, he is the Christ of God, as Peter had affirmed. And yet, he's one who's going to lay down his life. He's going to suffer and die. And yet, he says, truly, some of those who are standing here will not taste death until they see his glory until they see the kingdom of God. Well, they wake up and they're getting a foretaste, a foreshadowing of his glory, the kind of glory that he has. And so uh, they wake up, they see his glory, they see the two two men standing there with him. 
And as these two men were getting ready to leave, as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tabernacles, that is three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. Overcome by the moment, Peter wants to pitch tents for them to stay in, which is just so ironic and somewhat humorous. It's humorous that Luke actually throws us in. I mean, do Moses and Elijah really need tents to stay in? Um, perhaps he even has the idea of honoring Moses and Elijah and Jesus by pitching tents. And let's honor them with these three little tents and all that. that Peter, no, that's not the way it's going to go down. God's got a different plan. Come on, get your head screwed on straight, right? But maybe in the fog of sleep and being overcome by this moment, this is what he suggests. But, verse 34, while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Throughout the Old Testament, a cloud has conveyed God's presence, right? You see that in the Exodus, in in the book of Exodus, where a cloud that uh, signified God's presence, that there was a cloud on the mountain with Moses, there was a cloud that led the people, well, so too here. Here is this cloud, and so it's not just a fog of a cloud. This is a divine presence kind of cloud, and they sense it, and they're overcome by the moment, and they're afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This is a significant moment. Like This is God speaking from the cloud saying, this, Jesus, is my son, my chosen one. So indeed, he is God's chosen one. This, this confirms what Peter said a week ago. You are the Christ of God. Now God himself is affirming this, affirming this in the presence of Peter, John, and James, affirming this again for the sake of even Jesus, who has just said that, yes, that's who I am, but as that, I am the one who's going to suffer and die. And so this is my son. So it's not Moses plus Elijah plus Jesus. Let's have some tents for all three, and we can honor all three of these. Not Moses plus Elijah plus Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He is God's chosen one. He is God's son. Now listen to him. Make sure you hear him. Make sure you pay attention to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. It's Jesus. This is the one who is God's son. This is the one that needs to be uh, the focus of attention. This is the one we need to listen to. Peter needs to listen to. James and John needs to listen to. This is God's son. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. In fact, the other Gospels share kind of the story of them walking down the mountain and Jesus telling them, keep this to yourself, keep this silent. Uh, it, you know, and, and him telling them other things that don't make sense to them and they try to piece it all together because it doesn't fit their preconceived ideas. And in fact, Peter actually alludes to this event in his letter when he talks about we were eyewitnesses of his majesty on the mountain. Like we saw the, his majesty and his glory in this moment. So he alludes back to this there in his letters when he, he writes. But for now, they keep it to themselves. They keep it silent. And so as we wrap up this little story, just a couple of reflections for us to think about. Again, who is Jesus? Notice 
how we're really zeroing in our focus as we kind of come to the end of this first major section about Jesus' ministry. Luke wants us to wrestle with and be confronted with this question, and we're getting the answers now. We're, we're, we're not just getting the rumors, we're getting the answers that he's the, the Christ of God. He's the Son of Man. He is God's Son. He is God's chosen one. That's who he is. He's the one who culminates and supersedes Moses and the prophets. He's the final word who will fulfill the great exodus, the great redemption and liberation that everyone's looking forward to in their day. And the suffering that he will endure does not negate who he is and does not negate um, that he's going to achieve the great exodus. It's going to be the means by which he does that. And so, so the, the second reflection is, listen to him. Listen to him. This is the only appropriate response. He is the final word. He is, as the author of Hebrews says, the one through whom God is now speaking. In the past, God spoke in bits and pieces, the author of Hebrews says, through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Listen to him. 